is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Hi, everyone. Hi. We were bad again. <laughs> I'm, I know we always give excuses, but like, seriously, it's, it's been, th- things have been happening. Um, I think most of the world that can travel has come to Savannah on vacation <laughs> because they're tired of looking at their own home. Right. And I also went out of town on, and took a few days off. So, so that was exciting as well because I was tired yes. of looking at my Melissa town. needed it. And, <laughs> yeah. and it was great, but it made me appreciate her even <laughs> more well, when she came back. Well, um, I appreciated you all being here and the fact that I wasn't. <laughs> no, we, we had a good time with it. We yeah. tried to get some stuff done. And yeah, yeah and we, we didn't screw up the books too badly. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the store didn't implode while no. I was gone. So, you know, yeah, it's all a successful, good. successful outing. Yes. And anyway, so we are, we should be back on track to be more, more yes. regular. Um, we had, we also had, um, several new hires at the shop and we've been training. And so that requires a little more hands-on and it takes a little more time, but totally yes. worth it. And we're, we're recording from a new location, which you can't see because it's a podcast, but, um, <laughs> but if you could, I'd, it's our in-store layer. <laughs> it is. It's our, it's our spacious office that Melissa and I now share, um, compared to our little cubby under the stairs that we used to have. Yes. So. It was like Harry Potter's, um, cheaper house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it was more a hallway than anything else. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> But it served its purpose for a time. It's true. But, but yeah. Enough about us. Mm-hmm. Let's um, talk about some books. Yeah, we've, we've been reading things since last we spoke to you. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance because a lot of the stuff we're talking about are books that are not out yet. But we, we each got the opportunity, like, in between book club commitments to actually read some advanced reader copies of things that are coming mm-hmm. out. It was very exciting, like, things that we've been looking forward to. And, and, and we've got a few things, um, especially some of our book club books that we're mm-hmm. going to talk about that are currently on our shelves. One, one is uh, a very familiar old chestnut that most people have heard of, Madame Bovary. Yes, but I, I don't, you know, I don't know of anyone that I've ever had a conversation with other than you, Jessica, that mm-hmm. had already read that book. Like, um, okay. Well, maybe maybe it's not as um, and it's it is not one that I read in school. This is one I picked up on my own as a classic, um, and I read it probably around age forty, mm. I think, for the first time. Okay, and um, and well, that makes me feel better because I read it for the first time around age forty as well. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm just a few years ahead of you. That's all. Um, so we did. We read Madame Bovary for our Tequila Mockingbird book group. Mm-hmm. And um, it's by uh, Gustave Flaubert, if you don't know that. Yes. <laughs> and it's one of the first examples of realism in novels. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I, I think it is definitely worth reading. I thoroughly enjoyed the writing. Um, the characters will make you um, annoyed with their life choices. I, I think that's safe to say. Oh, yeah. They, they don't make good life decisions. No. Um, but I, again, but I think that's the point of the novel. Yeah, I think that's the point of the novel. But again, I feel like I, I didn't actually participate in the book club discussion mm-hmm. on this one. I, I missed book club. But I will say I think I was probably, again, in the minority of people when I say that I feel like the husband, I think his name is Charles. The doctor. The, the doctor, doctor. Yes. That that he wasn't a bad person. He was just doing his best. <laughs> he, well, <laughs> he, he wasn't an all bad person, just like most people people aren't all bad in the end though no no spoilers okay no spoils in the (laughs) end he did not live up to his duty to his family or his child yeah yeah, but i think that um of the two of them he was (laughs) well he was definitely the the more yes the more steady of the two yeah and i feel like his main failing was that he was not a romantic in the way that she was like he was never going to be the dashing romantic man he was the guy that just wanted to have a wife and have a family and do well in his job and and Mm -hmm. and really that he was fine with a smaller life yes and and that was not what she was looking for So for those of you who aren't familiar with sort of the basic framework of Madame Bovary, it is a story about a uh, good doctor who has kind of an awkward start in life, um, a lackadaisical father and a domineering mother. And when the book opens, he's married um, to his first wife, Mm -hmm. and he is going to see a man who's broken his leg. Yes. And so when he goes to the house to uh, set the guy's leg... Um, he was kind of a country squire, yeah. not really aristocracy because this is after the French revolution. So he's a well-to-do farmer yeah. more or less. Um, while he's, while he's at the house, he meets the guy's daughter mm-hmm. and, um, she's younger and he is, he's interested. I, well, his wife was sort of an arranged marriage by his mother and she, um, was reported to have some cash and his mother wanted him to set himself up in practice mm-hmm. and to do well. And so he agreed to marry this this older widow mm-hmm. um, who wasn't really making him super happy at home, I would say. No, I think, I, again, I feel like it was just sort of a unremarkable marriage, not necessarily a meeting of minds, Mm-mm. just kind of a means to an end. And they they just made it work and kind of they kind, kind of, of it, made yeah, it work but, you know. she became increasingly um challenging to live with um i think she became increasingly like his mother yes <laughs> um and then well anyway spoiler alert then well, she lost all her money and died yeah and leaving him free to pursue pursue the the daughter and and they eventually do marry and so she is the the madame bovary of the title, Madame yes. Bovary. <laughs> and so um, he's enthralled with his young bride. She um, has really not had any relationships with men before other than her father. And she's read a lot of novels when she was in um, 
when she was in convent school that a seamstress who was sort of nobility, um, pre-revolution nobility that sewed for the nuns would sneak in mm-hmm. in her pockets and kind of corrupt the girls. Um, so I, cause nothing good comes from reading novels. I, I tell you, <laughs> here we go again. It, it's the cause of many a hysterical female. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> so, so the young, the young girl is a romantic and, and she thinks that marriage is going to be all that. And then she gets married and she realizes that it's yeah, maybe not all that. And then, she gets a little whiff of the aristocracy because they're invited to a very fancy party. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, all she really wants is to be better than they are. Yeah. And then also um, starts with a a flirtation with a, a, a man who's much younger than her husband and mm-hmm. is more of a romantic. And, and a, a reader. And, yeah. yeah. And so that kind of sets her <clears throat> on a course for just being unhappy in, in her marriage because it's not the same as that relationship. Right. She doesn't feel the same feelings um, mm-hmm. and doesn't have the same conversations with her husband. And so, um, but the way that Flaubert writes about all of it is what I found really wonderful because... He uses sort of everyday realistic language to describe these scenes that are talking about romance, but from the language he's using are not at all romantic. I mean, he talks about, you know, dead bugs and the old glasses of cider sitting around and the fly speckled windows. And I mean, he puts all of the kind of everyday dirtiness of life mm-hmm. into the story. And um, I think between that and sort of the beginning of the rise of the middle class, um, it shows that conflict between um, people who want to rise up into the next class level and this sort of gentry that doesn't want to let them in. Yeah. And I think also um, if you've hesitated, like if you've thought about reading this and have hesitated, like and maybe like haven't read it because you think because it's a translated French novel, like it's going, it reads very easily and mm-hmm. very like it's, and there are very funny parts yeah, in it. Yeah. And, um, and there are very dramatic parts in it. And, um, there is infidelity. Uh, I think shocking. Almost everyone knows that about <laughs> this book. Um, but I would recommend it. I think it should be on a reading list. I don't, I, you know, I don't really see how reading this in high school would be of no, use. No, it would definitely be something that I think should be in, like, college English English classes. Um, yeah. And it may be in lots of schools. It just wasn't where I went to school. Um, no. So I didn't, I didn't ever... Um, encounter it yeah i mean i you know i knew it existed i knew um, well and i knew of it but i just never picked it up i would definitely recommend it for book groups because there's a lot to unpack with it yeah Um, there's a lot to talk about um and for people who have difficulty with sort of antiquated language i don't think the language is particularly antiquated no i was gonna say i felt like this was actually um like reading this one was like with Dickens, sometimes mm-hmm. it takes a minute to kind of get into the flow of the how, cadence, yeah, yeah, of how he writes. It didn't feel that with this, and it could just be the translator was just really good at translating it, and and yeah. that does make a 
big difference with translated literature because if you get a bad translation, it is very stilted and it just yes. is hard to it's hard awkward. to handle. Yeah, um, but I think this particular case, the translation that we mm-hmm. read was was good, and it's um, reading kind of the forward in the edition that we read. It's sort of the preeminent translation of this. Like that's kind of it's been it's been around for a while, and this yes. is yeah. So. Madame Bovary. Madame Bovary. By Gustave Flaubert. Flaubert, yes. Um, we, I think we, we both would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. Well, Melissa, what have you been reading that's happened in the 19th or 20th or 21st century even? Well, um, okay, so since I took some time off, like mm-hmm. I had um, a, a, a row of days that I could just read things and it was glorious um so i like i said i read a bunch of stuff that's getting ready to come out um Mm -hmm. in the next couple months so things to look forward to um so the first one is a nonfiction book. Um, it's Mary Roach's new book. Oh, Um, i can't wait to read that i can't wait to read that so mary roach um is best known for the book stiff which Mm -hmm. basically was the start of I, I really credit her with being the start of like pop science books. I think right. she was the one who started writing science books in a way that were really accessible to a not necessarily scientifically minded population. Right. <laughs> and almost the beginning, I don't know if she was the beginning of the, but the new sort of science memoir genre, which I mm-hmm. really enjoy. I really enjoy it too. So this one is a little bit of a departure from Mm -hmm. her normal stuff um, in that this one is less about people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Fuzz, When Nature Breaks the Law. So it's all about animals and weird things with animals. And it (laughs) it goes all over the map. Um, Like there are... um, I was telling Jessica about like some of my my favorite <laughs> okay. things in it. There's there's a chapter about bears in I, Aspen, mm-hmm. and my God, I <laughs> naughty 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 no, bears. They are so bad, um, but smart. They are very smart. Um, so just for a little snippet for you, um, so she was talking about in Aspen, like it, the the chapter about the bears starts out with her and a um, wildlife. Um, Specialist? Specialist, I guess. Um, and they're in an alley, which is like where um, a bunch of restaurants are dumping their trash. And in mm-hmm. Aspen, they have these specific like bear proof garbage containers that they have to use by law. And of course, nobody's locking them properly. And they're like watching this bear just <laughs> buffet. Yeah. He's in, he just looks at them like, what? What? <laughs> it's Sunday it's, and I'm hungry. It's delicious. Um, and so the next day she goes with him because he's called because a bear has broken into somebody's house and Mm -hmm. bears are actually very clever with their clever paws and their, Mm -hmm. and their nails and stuff. Like they can pop windows out of frames in this particular case, the bear actually took the whole door and pulled it out of the frame and just set it gently against the house and then (laughs) went in, went to the refrigerator, opened the refrigerator door, pulled out a bowl of, I believe it was peaches Mm -hmm. that he decided he did not want and sat on the counter and then proceeded to eat uh, some other things in the fridge. And then 
got into the freezer and ate the Haagen-Dazs ice cream, but left the store brand ice cream untouched. He's a discerning bear. He is a discerning bear. And then well, he, he lives in Aspen. It's true. He, he's a little snooty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he exited through the French doors that mm-hmm. they're not supposed to, by building code in Aspen, use like the like push-down door handles. Yeah. yeah, because because bears can just open them pretty easily. Yeah. So he made his way out and exited the house. And then they were talking about how in Yellowstone one summer there was a spate of um, break-ins at car- for cars and 1,100 cars were broken mm-hmm. into over the, the course of the summer and they figured out it was bears doing it, but they thought it was like this huge group of bears and it turns out it was one mother bear and two cubs. So she had taught her cubs how to break into mostly minivans because they were full of the delicious snacks. And they just had a crime wave over the summer breaking into cars. (laughs) So that's just kind of like an idea of what this book is like in there. I mean, she goes all over the world. Like she goes to the Vatican and talks Mm -hmm. about like, Yes. Birds in the Vatican, and she goes to um, New Zealand where they're dealing with um, invasive species and mm-hmm. sort of how to how to deal with that. Um, I think my favorite part of her books, and I think where she really really shines, is her use of the footnote. Mm-hmm. Her footnotes are fucking brilliant. Oh, <laughs> like wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes, they're so good. Like she. Brings the funny. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just really well done. So if you have any interest in science, if you have any interest in just nature books, um, renegade animals, re- bears gone bad, <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely Mary Roach's new book, Fuzz. Um, it comes out September fourteenth. Okay. Well, that's something. Well, that's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. I've got one that I'm reading right now. Uh, that comes out September 7th. Mm. Yes, it's uh, Lauren Groff's new book, which I have been... So I love Lauren Groff. I have had a crush on her since I saw her at the Savannah Book Festival when she came for Fates and Furies. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a pacer, and she doesn't have set talks. And she was on... Um, she So at the Savannah Book Festival, let me set the stage, they do have most of the events in historic buildings and many of them are in churches downtown because churches can hold an adequate number number of people and mm-hmm. they're it's kind of the perfect setup. Yeah. And so she was speaking at the Baptist church which actually has an immersion pool for baptisms <laughs> and she was pacing the stage and I thought she was either going to fall off into the crowd at one point or into the full immersion baptism <laughs> um font or I it's not pond, a pond, <laughs> mini pond, <laughs> baby pool, cement pond, <laughs> cement pond. <laughs> so, so anyway, she she was just great, and I was like, yeah, she's the kind of writer, kind of like Ruth Ware, where you're like, I could hang out with her. That mm-hmm. would be fun. Yeah, um, she probably doesn't want to hang out with me, but that's you know, fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll wear her down. <laughs> <laughs> so I. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed Fates and Furies. I really enjoyed Florida, her short stories, but I've been waiting for another novel. And it's here. And not only <laughs> is it here, but it like hits all of my buttons. Oh my God. If there was a book that was just written for Jessica, <laughs> it's this particular book because 
I, I gotta kinda, tell you, it's it seems like it's aiming at a niche audience, <laughs> which is me. <laughs> yes. So it's just it's. Well, anyway, um, I heard her speak recently about the book. Um, she did a um, a uh, virtual event, and um, it was fantastic. Did you see it? No. Okay. Well, I, I watched it. <laughs> but I did see her speak about it um, at... Was it Winter Institute or SEBA? One of Somewhere. The, one, one of, of the virtual conferences we've mm-hmm. gone to, like she was in a panel with other people and she was, she touched on it briefly, but they were talking about a bunch of other things. Yes. Well, she, this was just her talking about the book and in conversation with some of the people who helped her write the book, which were historians and... Were there, and, were there nuns? Well, and in the end... She put on her little nun habit. It was fantastic. So well, and I think we've neglected to say the the book is called Matrix. Yes. Okay. So Lauren Groff's new book is called Matrix. Matrix comes out um, to the world on September seventh. And what is it about? You may ask. Well, there are definitely nuns. Um, and Eleanor of Aquitaine, and um, a seventeen-year-old bastardess which is what they call her in the book. Um, a, uh, I would have gone with bastardette. <laughs> okay. But, but uh, that, you know, yes. English but, is, doesn't always agree with me. Okay, so there is a 17-year-old Marie mm-hmm. who has been cast out of the court of Eleanor of Aquitaine because okay. she's considered to be just not suitable for marriage. She's not a beautiful girl, and she is tall... Um, for the time period. Okay. So she's a big woman. She's a big... So she's like five foot two? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe five foot three. Yeah. No. I think she's probably about five seven-ish, the way they describe her. So a beast. Yes, basically. <laughs> um, and so they're like, she's never going to get married. I don't really want her hanging around. She doesn't have any money. Um, why don't we send her dowry that we have to this impoverished... Abbey in England because um, they're in Norman France at that point. Okay. Is the sending the dowry there like basically um, here, you keep her yes. and we'll pay you to do it. Yeah. Here's the money. You're all starving and she's going to be your new prioress, even though she's not even actually a nun yet. And, and just know that half of that money is going to be on food for her because she's a beast. No. <laughs> Well, they do have to buy her shoes because none of the clogs will fit her. Oh. And they have to sew bottoms onto her um, her dresses until she can have a proper habit made. Poor girl. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, she's feeling a little bad about her situation. I mean, she doesn't really speak English. Now she's sent to the basically the middle of nowhere to starve. Yeah. Um, so she goes through a pretty deep funk in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then finally she's like, you know what? I can do this. So she um, becomes a kick-ass nun. <laughs> I'm <And> sorry. <laughs> she does. And she... I don't she, think you're supposed to use the word as a nun in the same sentence. Unless you're saying kick-ass nun. <laughs> My guess. Yes. <laughs> um, so she, she just... She decides she's going to save this... Um, Abby and make it profitable and 
make a good living for the nuns and, you know, and also provide them. She has some very literate nuns. She's literate. So they start doing illuminations as opposed Mm. to knitting and spinning and other things that they weren't doing well at. And so she, so she has a mystical, um, experience. Okay. So not only does it talk about the life of nuns, Eleanor of Aquitaine, um, illuminating manuscripts and kick-ass women, but it also talks about um, mysticism in the Catholic Church. Okay. Which is fascinating to me and one of my favorite things. (laughs) Sure. Um, And she's a bit of a poet. um, Okay. Yes. And so it comes to her in a vision that they should create this labyrinth. And um, so this is just... It's like, seriously, just ticking every, every box for you. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so, but it's also, when listening to Lauren Groff talk about why she wrote this book, she was writing it during um, the former president's mm-hmm. um, time in office, and she was really disheartened, and she just wanted to look back to a time where women were also, you know, unable to control their futures and were worried about what was going to happen to them in an uncertain world. And she wanted to write about women who took what they were given and made, like, a real life out of it. Okay. And and also brought other women up with them. All right. So... That's reasonable. I think, um, yeah, I it, so Penguin Random... House writes that it's um, equally alive to the sacred and the profane. Um, it gathers currents of violence, sensuality, and religious ecstasy in a mesmerizing portrait of consuming passion, apparent faith, and a woman that history moves both through and around. All right. Yes. So. Okay. Um, I. It may not be for everybody, but I think that. Most people can find something in it. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, you shouldn't be intimidated by the subject matter. Yeah. Because um, Lauren Groff writes in a very accessible manner. It's, yeah. yes. So, um, and if you can see her talk about it, mm-hmm. it's just, she's so enthusiastic. It's wonderful. Okay. All right. Well, this is going to be completely different from that. Okay. Um, all right. So the next one that I want to talk about, it's called, Several people are typing, um, and it's by Calvin Kosulki. Um, it also comes out September seventh, um, so it's um, so not... September seventh is going to be a big day. Yeah, like the first couple weeks of September, there's going to be really good books coming out. This one, um, I honestly picked up because they they sent the arc to us, and um, it was talking about. Um, it, it being like kind of like a workplace sort of comedy thing. And mm-hmm. it, um, I don't know if you remember like the office sort of, but I, I don't know if you remember, um, it was probably about 10, maybe 15 years ago mm-hmm. where there was like a spate of books that came out and they were all told in like email. And yes. that was like the form of the book was just a, a bunch pist- of e- epistolary, but, but technic technology based epistolary yes (laughs) yes well so this one it's a subgenre yes it's a subgenre so this one is harkens back to that Mm -hmm. but it's all told in slack channels 
So Slack is... Yes, explain to the elderly <laughs> what a Slack channel uh, well, is. So I've never used Slack for any, like for any work or anything, mm-hmm. but Slack is basically, it's like a messaging program that's almost good for like project management. So you can share files within the program. And so mm-hmm. like, um, so this, they are a PR firm. Okay. And so when they work on different projects, they have specific channels that the group talks on and they talk about things and they'll send documents back and forth to each other. And so it's basically like, like instant messenger almost. Okay. Okay. So the, (laughs) the main character of this book, he ends up being somehow his, his consciousness gets sucked into slack. Oh, so his, and it takes a minute for him to convince someone in his office that he's not just trying to work from home and he's not Mm -hmm. making excuses or whatever. Like they think he just doesn't want to come into the office. Um, so he, he finally convinces one of his coworkers to go and check in his apartment Mm -hmm. and see what's going on. And like, he realizes that, Oh, his body is here, but he's just not, in there he's not like he's, his consciousness is not in his body so his physical body is existing in almost sort of like a comatose comatose like hibernation sort of but it's still alive it's still alive but he also like the he, he ends up paying this co-worker to like make sure he stays alive okay um so he like moves him into his apartment and has just this, like his body sitting on his futon <laughs> so it's like weekend at Bernie's, but the person is still alive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, meets the office. Yeah, sort of. And so there's all these like workplace shenanigans that are going on. Like two people are having an affair and they're trying to hide that. And he's actually doing really great work because he's just stuck in the program. So so he just, he's working pretty much all the time. What else does he have to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, but then he, starts interacting with the help bot that's Mm -hmm. within slack so it's basically like you when you ask for help in like any sort of program and it's like hi how can i help you and you can like type like a a frequently asked question and it'll give you like this rote Mm -hmm. response well it does that but he eventually like breaks the spirit of the help bot and the help bot starts interacting with him in ways that are not how the help bot should be interacting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fun. It was a really quick read. Like I, I read it one evening when I was like, when I went to bed, like I read mm-hmm. for a couple hours and finished it. Um, it has nice, it has a nice sweet gay love story. It's like Aww. got great queer representation. Um, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Like if, like if you like stuff like the office and, and you like books told in letters, so you can kind of pick it up and put it down too. Oh yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. Very um, cool. So highly recommend. Uh, several people are typing Calvin Kalski. All right. Well, I have something completely different, <laughs> but also told in a, a short story to extremely short story format. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a book that Melissa put on my desk and said, "I think this is your cup of tea," mm. and and it it is my cup of tea sort of <laughs> sort of <laughs> so it's called people from my neighborhood and it's by Hiromi Kawakami okay i believe and it is a series of 
I don't even know if I'd call them stories as much as vignettes. Mm -hmm. What it reminded me of is kind of the way you remember things from childhood. So you kind of remember very specific things about people in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like you remember. But kind of the situations are sort of hazy. The situations are hazy and like there's no real explanation of why you're starting here and why you finish there. Okay. So this is um, told from a single point of view from a person who you realize is female about halfway through the stories. And um, I was trying to tell Melissa today, it's kind of like if you took Murakami and then added Jen Spira and Helen Ellis into the mix and threw them all together, um, they're just these really quirky little stories that have, um, I don't know if you'd call it magical realism or just sort of fantasy in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, one of the stories that I thought was kind of the most interesting, and it's in the middle of the book, talks about a, a one of the sort of their continuing characters through the stories. Um, so one of them are these two sisters. One of the, two of the continuing characters are two sisters. Uh, the younger sister is friends with the narrator, mm-hmm. and the older sister is sort of like when you go over to a friend's house and you talk about the older sister doing this and that, and the younger sister is very bossy and pretty mean to the older sister, but the older sister decides that throughout the stories to become a medium Okay. Um, when she grows up because mm-hmm. she can... Um, dead people can speak through her like an oracle. Okay. And apparently in Japan, there's a place mountain where you can just go do this and people pay you well for it in this, well, in this world that (laughs) has been built. And so, um, the older sister is on a school trip and she has a vision the night before that she's going to find something important for her life. Um, and she needs to pick it up and take it with her. And so she does, and it turns out to be kind of a dove-like thing that is really smelly. And so she puts it in her lunchbox and takes it home, and then it grows bigger and bigger and ultimately turns into a human that she marries. And then it (laughs) saves the world at the end of the story. So, but the whole story or telling of it is maybe four pages. Interesting. So it's a, it's an interesting, um, it's, it is a step beyond Murakami for sure. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if part of it is the translation. Um, it, it, it seems very Japanese in nature. I mean, it is, it has zero to do with American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently Hiromi, Kawakami, and if I mispronounce that, I'm very sorry, is one of Japan's most popular contemporary novelists. I have never read them before, um, but her style is very offbeat, and I would definitely say that's true. Um, It is a book you can pick up and put down. If you're a fan of Murakami or Japanese contemporary literature in general, I think you would like this book, but it is out there. I worry a little bit that because of the translation and because of my lack of general knowledge of Japanese culture, I may be missing some of the jokes in the book, Mm. but, um, but it's, um, well, she also wrote 
oh, one of my books that I is on my list to read. The author of um, the Nikeo Thrift Shop. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And the Ten Loves of Mr. Nishiro. Um, so she is an author I'm familiar with. I'm, I'm just realizing this, but um, this was just a different. Um, it was a very different little book. I read it, you know, in the morning, and um, again, thoroughly enjoyed it. But it's kind of like trying to explain a dream that you had to someone. Yeah. So there was. Uh, this is just like an offshoot. Um, I'm sorry. I'm I'm tangenting. Um, so like I read. Um, and I told Jessica a little bit about this um, a couple weeks ago. This really tiny little, um, it was honestly like 90 some pages, mm-hmm. like just little, little book called Thirst. And mm-hmm. it was also translated, but this was French. Um, mm-hmm. And the author's name is Amelie um, Notham. And it's kind of the same thing. She's a very um, well-known French author and mm-hmm tends to be very offbeat and so this one was like it takes place um it's about Jesus mm-hmm. which is kind of oh, a strange thing for me, me to to you, start reading did you give this to me I don't know if I've brought it to you yet I have it okay. at home um but it's um yeah so it's about Jesus and it starts because I always read books like yeah Jesus. true uh, when I when I started I was like oh, Jessica loves Jesus, <laughs> um, but it's, it's like when he's on trial mm-hmm. and then it goes through, um, him being crucified, but it's told in a very modern and satirical voice. Like mm-hmm. while he's on trial, like they're bringing in these, these witnesses against him, And it's like talking about him doing these miracles, but it's like, well, so we were at this wedding and um, we ran out of wine oh, and it turns t- out that he can turn water into wine and the wine he made was way better than the wine that we had already served. So then we look like idiots because we're serving this really great wine once all the really crappy wine has run out. <laughs> and it's like, okay. okay. It yeah. was just like completely offbeat. like, But putting it in perspective. So kind of the thug notes... Of the trial. Yeah, but well, so yes, but then it's like, then he becomes more meditative where he's talking about, um, like carrying the cross and being, um, mm-hmm. uh, being crucified and then sort of the resurrection sort of thing. So it starts out kind of quirky, ends up more like philosophical and, and totally th- it's a, it's totally a, my cup of tea. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. It's a really strange book, but it's that same sort of like offbeat mm-hmm. translated literature. That's just a little quirk. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, I love things like that. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yes. All right. Well, we have a, a little more time. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so another quirky thing, mm-hmm. um, it, so, the author Lemony Snicket, who oh, is I can't wait to read this who book. is best known for a series of unfortunate events, which yes. is like a middle grade series, mm-hmm. um, has a book coming out called Poison for Breakfast, and it comes out August thirty first, and it's going to be like a little sort of gifty size mm-hmm. hardcover. It's got a great book. cover. It's got a great cover, um, and it is um, like all. It's supposed to be all ages is the is the audience for this, but mm-hmm. I think it's definitely aimed more towards an adult audience. Um, I'm not sure kids would get 
a the lot humor. of the uh, humor or the allusions that he makes mm-hmm. to things. But so the idea of this story is he sits down to have breakfast and it's, it's him telling this story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the author telling this, like it's him in the book. So he's, um, he sat down to have breakfast and he ha- he tells you what he has for breakfast and he finishes up and he's just kind of doing his thing. And someone has slid a note under his door that said, you had poison for breakfast. Oh. And so he's made his own breakfast. And so mm-hmm. he, so the book is him kind of going through what he's eaten and the mm-hmm. components of what he's eaten. And so he goes to kind of the places where he's gotten the components from mm-hmm. and is, is just like a meditative, like quirky journey through the little village mm-hmm. with him thinking about what he's eaten and trying to figure out how he's been poisoned and or why and why he's been poisoned and what the mystery is. So it's a little mystery and it, it, it like the only way I can describe this book is it's just delightful. Like, <laughs> yeah. like the, the words he uses it, like the writing, everything is just delightful. It's just a cute little book. It's like 150 some pages Super quick read. It's it's just I, one that makes you happy. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm going to read that. I need that. I need that in my life right now. Yeah. Because what I'm reading currently is, um, well, there, you know, I'm, I'm reading The Matrix right now, but I usually have a book I'm listening to. And I've mentioned before that I um, have been listening to White Teeth for another book group by Zadie Smith. And because Jessica cheats on our store book cr- groups with another book group. Just one. <laughs> um, but I have another family. Yeah. Um, but this book, although it is fantastic and a wonderful kind of humorous, insightful, interesting uh, look at immigrant life in modern day Britain, um, is also just a long book. Mm. Um, Some books are just dense and just... It's dense and there's so much packed in and there's so many different voices telling the story Mm -hmm. um, as it moves along. So I've gone through the first half of the book, which is the men's voices, and I'm starting in the second half of the book where the women start speaking. Um, And a lot of people were reading this book in in bits as opposed to all at once because it is a long, dense book. And... um, that can intimidate some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point it's even intimidating me a little bit, <laughs> but, but I am, I am enjoying it, but it, yeah. Um, a lot of people didn't like the men's point of view in this book. I appreciate the men's point of view. I find it interesting. I mean, they're not particularly lovable characters yeah. at all. And so it's, they're a little bit farcical, but, um, but it is interesting and it's a slice of life that I certainly haven't experienced. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like seeing Britain and London and just the whole idea of colonization through those who have been colonized that are currently living what is supposed to be their dream lives. Mm -hmm. So Sadie Smith, white teeth, the journey continues. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. Then really quickly, um, I wanted to talk about um, a graphic novel that I read and it's called Seek You. A Journey Through American Loneliness. Um, and it's by Kristen Radke. Um, and it comes out in July. It comes out July 13th. And it is a... It's like halfway between a memoir and like 
a meditation on just the idea of loneliness and loneliness Mm -hmm. in our society. And she, so she started writing this several years ago. She had the idea Mm -hmm. to look at just loneliness because she's experienced it in her own life. And it's something that we don't necessarily always talk about, but Mm -hmm. it is something that everyone experiences. It's like, even if you have a bunch of friends and are, you know, like, Everyone's lonely at some point in their life and very few people will talk about it. Um, But she looks at loneliness in her own life and throughout the course of her life. She had um, she talks about when she had come up with the idea for this project, um, several friends of hers, just everybody she told about this project Mm -hmm. had us had a story of like, you know, yeah, this, this is when I was alone. And Mm -hmm. it's completely different points in everybody's life and different things going on. And then she goes back and looks at, um, like, uh, psychological experiments that have dealt Mm -hmm. with loneliness and separation. And, and so there's a lot in it. It's really, really well done. Um, but it's interesting because it's coming out now after like this pandemic where mm-hmm. we've all were like quarantined and being by ourselves and and really as a world experiencing like global loneliness. Right. Um, and so I think I think it's going to um, resonate with people mm-hmm. a lot more now than it might have if it had come out before this Mm -hmm. so it's it's really really well done i i would like to take a look at that yeah it sounds fascinating it really is it's so it's called seek you a journey through american loneliness uh kristen radke very good well very 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 quickly melissa and i um for our jane austen book (laughs) club read ladies of the house um um by lauren edmondson yes and uh, it's a modern retelling of sense and sensibility it is set against a political backdrop in DC mm-hmm. with a the the sisters their father was a prominent politician yes who after he dies it comes out that he has been having affairs oh, stealing he's money been, he's it, he's done things untoward he's been very naughty yeah so they're dealing with the fallout of his his Terrible Everything. actions, like his, and his well, his losing all their money, mm-hmm. um, leaving them in debt, um, leaving them shamed, um, mm-hmm. and especially for the older sister, who's the Eleanor Dashwood character, mm-hmm. um, because she works in politics as well, and so the taint of his wrongdoings is really a problem for her in what she does. Yes, um, so. It, it's it's a fairly light read, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It was. Um, it, I think I think she did an adequate job mm-hmm. of of making it a modern retelling of the story. But I think we all agreed that in um, in Sense and Sensibility, the reason that it works as well as it does mm-hmm. is because. The the women really have no other choice but to marry. They have no way to make their way in the world. Whereas right. this, the stakes are not so high because they can make their way in the world. <laughs> um, so so the the dramatic 
tension is not is not really there. Right. So it it would have been a really fun sort of um romance. Um I'm not sure it needed to be a retelling of Sense and Sensibility. And the other thing that we the other thing that we determined from this book and again this it's not a bad book it it really is a fine romantic comedy sort of book but when you set yourself up to be a retelling of Jane Austen mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what which book you're you're setting it up right. for it that in and of itself sets expectations a little higher than than normal mm-hmm. like like when you set yourself up to be compared to Jane Austen, you really need to deliver on that. You do. And you, uh, as Jane Austen fans, um, we like, we just finished reading, um, the other Bennett, the other Bennett sister. And there were so many little nuggets in there of, um, Jane Austen trivia and allusions to things. Like you could read that book on one level and just, and like it and and it's fine but if you're like a mega jane austen fan and you know all the nerdy kind of like stuff Mm -hmm. there were those little bits in there for like the serious kind of fan and that's that's kind of i think what we expect is the nerdy people um that there's going to be something like that in there well because i always figure that if you're going to write something You've got to love her. Yeah. Like if you're going to write something as a continuation or a mm-hmm. retelling of her work, I feel like you have to really love Jane Austen. Right. If you're doing it just sort of casually because you think it would be an interesting idea, it doesn't necessarily work as well. And I don't, I don't know this woman's yeah. background or, or and we don't, I, yeah, I don't no. know. I don't know any of that. And, and it, I, it, it's a good book. Yes, it, it is a good book. I, I, yes. I think we'll just leave it there. Yes. That's well, all right. So okay. I think that's um, that's all we have for this time. Yes. Um, we we promise we'll be back in two weeks. We will be back in two weeks because, um, yes, I've got lots of things I want to read on my bedside table. So hopefully. Uh, the ever-growing pile of books. Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> Someday. Well, How did she die? <laughs> under a pile of books. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you all are enjoying um, summer. Kind of the the gentle reopening of the world and getting yeah. out and about and doing so safely and um, yeah, continuing to read. Yeah. Just read at the beach now. Yeah. Or yes. in the mountains or wherever you like. <laughs> yes. On a park bench. Just, just read some books. Yes. All right. Happy reading. Bye. <laughs>